0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the CityWOW Ratings Radar podcast. My name is Richard Lander and joining me as usual is Angus Foote as my co-host and Nisha Long and Frank Talbot as our fund manager data experts. Frank is going to be along in a little while to talk about agriculture and investing in the uh, equities that uh, are associated with that sector uh, which is fast growing with everyone's concern about uh, climate change, food use, and so on. Uh, first of all, uh, we're going to hear from Nisha about global high-yield bonds. Very topical because uh, we've had a lot of concern in the past few days about uh, rising rates in the Treasury bond market uh, as inflation fears come back and where uh, Treasury bonds lead, uh, other bond yields follow. So, uh, Nisha, you're going to tell us who are the most promising fund managers there, how their track record has been, and what's been an exciting few years for them, uh, and where we go from now.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting one. I do like um, you know, researching global high yield managers in particular. I've done quite a lot of research around the area over the past few years. And um, after a market crisis, where you really want to be positioned, in my opinion, is within fixed income is high yield, where you can really soak up the gains. In the aftermath, and um, just to give you an example, in downturns after the dot-com crisis, the global financial crisis in 2008, EM crisis as well in 2011, and even now, you know, just looking at last year, you know, high yield is where you are getting your kicker for um, in the recovery for returns in particular. That's capital returns, not in the yield um, terms. And um, not only that, these managers also pick up fallen angels. So those that have been downgraded because of a crisis from investment grade to junk to get the returns. So high yield managers, you know, can, you know, get into the fallen angels to get that extra kick. Um, So over the past year to 10th of March, global high yield measured by um, Bloomberg Barclays index was up 11% in US dollar terms. And in comparison, investment grade is you know, up 2.4%. So you can see, you know, it's pretty good. 11% is pretty good for, you know, bond um, managers.
0: Now, interesting, that one year period, because that was just before uh, Armageddon happened. Uh, uh, I think that was about March the 20th, wasn't it? Yeah, but it the, was. All hell broke loose with the pandemic. Absolutely. Taking
1: I think this was the last week we were all, well, as I can put it, normal. We're in the outside yep. world in a normal situation. Um, yeah. And then this time was it next week? As we it were, we were, you know, contemplating lockdown. So, you know, taking this research back to that time, it's just you, seeing where managers were positioned, especially in high yield. And a couple of managers I want to mention that really caught my attention. In this um, in the global high yield sector from Citywide sector, is first uh, Michael Scott of Man GLG who's AA rated. Now, but he was one of the ratings casualties in March April last year. We saw a raft of bond managers you know lose their ratings as soon as you know the crisis hit. But in recovery, you know the high yield managers have really you know done their job basically and picked up. Um, but with Michael Scott, he's been rising up the ranks since he did lose his rating, you know, last year um, during March and April, but he um, regained it in June. So when the recovery is picking up, and he's been AA rated for the past three months, and he manages the um, Man GLG High Yield Opportunities Fund, and you know he's got a great track record. So between the most part of 2016 to 2018, he was triple A rated. So you know he's got a really fine um, background. Um he's invested in industrials utilities and financials and within financials um the way he's invested in this is broken down into tranches with secured unsecured debt and subordinated debt you know where you will be getting the higher yields um with his unsecured debt positions and the junior subordinated where you are rewarded with the higher yields but he's taken advantage of this um you know and going into the crisis and during last year in itself he continues to do well, yeah
0: I suppose the key to, you know, when you're getting down unsupport, unsecured debt, subordinated debt, is the default rates, yeah. which, and everyone, during every one of those crises you mentioned, everyone says default rates are going to go through the roof. They rarely do, do they? Yeah,
1: them. so from what I've seen as well, so those companies that were, you know, that's not bad, but, um, you know, where they were going to default anyway, there are signs that they're going to default. It just gives them a push when there's a market um downturn it gives them a push you know they do default but those you know there's some really good high yield companies out there who are you know giving debt out which you know they've still got strong balance sheets they're trying to make you know better off their companies balance sheets are still strong you know you can get a good kicker from this so with the subordinator and the tranches you know it's the way you're paid out if they do default so you know you are rewarded for this high yield so but if you pick right you know you can take advantage yeah. of that higher yield quite easily.
0: You, you get the yield and yeah, the capital
1: appreciation. Um,
0: Angus, for, for your selectors, uh, this is this is where they've got to go to get some yield for their uh, clients, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, Nisha and I have talked about this quite a lot over recent years, really. The whole idea of bond fund selection has, has completely changed in the last, I don't know, what, five ten years? where, you know, it bonds as that kind of large, stable, um, safe part of your portfolio, that whole perception has changed. And bond fund selection is much more challenging. It covers a wider spectrum of assets. You have to think a lot more about higher risk areas than you ever did before. So I, I think that's been a key evolution for um, for fund selectors. But um, I mean, also to the point about default rates, of course, that's another argument for um, active management, isn't it? You know, you need good active managers if you're going to weed out the, you know, a- avoiding the defaults is a key part of the uh, of the, the strategy, Nisha, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is um, trying to get those key areas and also being positioned well, um, going into these kind of um, pandemic, well, nobody knew that this was going to happen last year, this time last year, but it's positioning as well, as you mentioned, you know, if you have the right decisions, in your portfolio in the first place, you know you are going to um, you know, reap the rewards. And I just wanted to mention one more manager just on this point is Thomas Joret. Um, so he went up to a triple, uh, I mean a double A in March, April last year. He was one of the managers who didn't go down. Last year, in terms of ratings, this time last year, and he manages the Candrian Bonds Global High Yield Fund. And where he was positioned at the back end of 2019, he had a huge cash position, which I think you know really insulated his portfolio at the time. Um, So he had between 13 to 23 percent in cash, which is higher than usual. You know, a cash buffer going into. So I'm not sure what he was planning to do with that money at that stage, but that really helped him. you know, retain his rating, and you know have gone into the pandemic. But he was one of the few managers who had that insulation. Not maybe not intentional, but it does depend on you know what you're doing at the time. And some of it could be luck. You know, maybe it is around yep, this time.
0: Yeah, never yep. forget that. And just, I guess just I just... A, just on a general
2: point on the the background, the the economic situation. I was listening this morning to um, Stephen King, the economist, who was speaking at our fixed income event which is uh, actually happening right now. Uh, but he was talking about this idea that we're about to see the new roaring 20s, which is an idea that I think we quite like and has taken hold in some quarters. But he was saying that actually, whilst some, some similarities with the 20s do exist and, and are clear, the situation is, is also very different in important ways. And actually, if you look back at the 20s, growth wasn't actually particularly high by uh, you know any long-term standard during the twenties, um, so uh, be
0: interesting to see how that pans out. I guess. Mm. Well, also you know as we're all getting vaccinated here in the states, is that you know in the equities markets lots of talk of you know rotate out of COVID winners, the stay-at-home people into COVID losers, and you look here you know uh, airlines and cruise lines which. are been pretty empty the last year. We're raising money in the states at 14 percent. You know, as they fill up their airborne and seaborne vessels, respectively. Uh, you know, it could be business could be a lot better for them. Maybe, maybe the the winners and the losers applies as much to the bond market as it does to the equities. Yeah,
1: that's one thing. But yeah. great. Sorry. No, there is one thing I've seen with the high yield managers as well, as you mentioned, you know, they have been reducing their exposure to the travel industry, because, you know, what they've seen at the moment, um, and increasing to the energy sector. But it's just, you know, the travel industry, you know, has taken a massive hit. But also the these um, high yield managers have also reduced their exposure to that sector because of, you know, perhaps further defaults in the area.
0: Frank?
3: Yeah, I mean, and borrowing at that rate 14-15%. That's going to weigh heavily on, yeah. on their route out of this so uh, it doesn't look like plane sailing for, for the airline industry
0: or, or indeed the cruise industry sorry pun there I should point out actually that our
2: fixed income event is going on right now as we record this podcast but it will be over by the time uh, our listeners hear us uh, but they can uh, catch up you can all catch up on that event on the website so you'll be able to look at Stephen King's talk if you haven't
0: uh, heard it live excellent plug I'll put a link in there when we publish this. Great. Frank, from uh, planes and vessels to to the great earth, the land, the agricultural sector, uh, growing in importance as we all get more aware of, of what we eat and how we produce it. Uh, what's happening there?
3: Yes, yeah, so as you mentioned, one of our recently crafted thematic sectors is agriculture. Uh, You'll have seen uh, a lot of headlines recently about food price inflation, poor harvest, government stockpiling, leading to sort of 50% year-on-year growth for a variety of soft commodities. You've seen these? Indeed. Yeah, well, it's not those. Um, If you want to track the underlying soft commodities, uh, then it's best to buy an ETF or seek out a specialist fund. They do exist. Um, I'm not saying that some of them aren't going to own some of the underlying commodity, but that's not their core investment. Uh, these funds are far more concerned with the agriculture economy. Field to fork is the catchphrase that you will have heard if you've ever listened to one of these managers, or um, if you've
0: ever eaten in Dalston in East London. Right. Okay. A- let's let's not
3: get into the hipster crowd. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, uh, the, the companies which are you know involved in getting the produce from the source to the consumers think kind of. Tractor manufacturers, food processing plants, fertilizer producers, irrigation systems, you know, right up to your Nestle's, Danone's, Unilever's to a certain extent. Um, As a result, this tends to be quite a boring asset class. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think we could all do with some boring Uh, at the moment after the sort of growth fuel rally of the last 10 years and obviously the pandemic in the last yeah, um, it's a pretty niche investment area as well with sort of 3 billion invested globally. So quite small and actually over a billion of that is in one fund, Pictay's nutrition portfolio. Uh, but the flows are certainly picking up as they are to, to most thematics. Um, a fund of note here is the Bearings Global Agriculture run by long-standing manager James Govan and uh, newer members of the team Clive Burstow and Piers Aldred. It tops the sector over the past three years to the end of Jan with returns of 18%. See, I told you it wasn't particularly sexy. Tesla, this is not. Um, I'll be a little harsh here because nothing is Tesla. And actually, it, it's up 111% since markets bottomed 23rd of March last year to the 10th of March this year. Uh, this is aided quite significantly by a 7.7% stake in Deer & Company, The owners of John Deere, which is up 30% year-to-date and more than 200% since markets bottomed in late March. Um, For those of you who don't live in the country and aren't surrounded by tractors, John Deere is like the Rolex of farm equipment. Um, I think that maybe that's sort of a bad comparison. It's probably more like the apple of farm equipment. It's the biggest, the most expensive, but you do get what you pay for. Um, Let's just say it's a real head-turner down the country local when you rock up on your Deere probably because you can't find a parking space, but still. Um, the the reason that it's such a desired company, apart from obviously the social capital that it brings you to own one, is uh, is the quality, which in turn leads to reliability. Um, but they're also embracing technology. I don't know if you've seen uh, Christopher Nolan's excellent Interstellar. Anyone? Nope. Wow, missing out. But there's a scene uh, where the tractors are effectively driving and harvesting themselves without the need for for humans to be in the cab. You know doing the driving obviously missing out there but john deere effectively making that a reality that prospect i, of smart I was gonna say farming.
2: frank i think you're behind the times because uh i'm i'm in the country too and out here the tractor the tractor drivers don't actually do anything anyway sure the drivers sure. no no in the sense that the the, the 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 tractors um progress across the field is all controlled by gps
3: that that doesn't happen where I am, but maybe the sophistication of of Norfolk or is it Suffolk? Sorry, if I get that wrong, uh, is is a bit more. With, I'm thinking kind of mass scale farming, like in the right. states, where you know they they automate everything, um, and and it's it's a it's a company that's on the rise, and actually it's it's directly linked to the soft commodity inflation. So uh, in that people invest in equipment when prices, are, when prices high. are high. The the phrase make hay while the sun shines. Uh, comes to mind sorry I could, couldn't resist. Um, Frank,
0: uh, I think this is interesting this is all new to me because what you're saying is this is big food big agri that uh, these firms are investing in and you know what's getting the headlines the stuff like meat substitutes uh, beyond burger and so on are basically off the public markets they're being financed by venture capital they need to be because they lose money for years and years and years before getting traction.
3: Beyond Meat is actually listed. I know this because Chris Slowly, editor of Citywide Selector, has owned it for some time, uh, which has been very beneficial for him. But there there are the substitutes. I couldn't find those kinds of alternative um, food suppliers in many of the portfolios. But the whole sustainability of food and efficiency of farming is a big topic because obviously you've got this booming uh, burgeoning global population we're predicted to get to sort of 11 12 billion um, and and you're going to need to supply them with a limited resource of land and water and so on and so forth so efficiency with water efficiency with you know the yields and the equipment as well as being sustainable to the biodiversity of the planet there's a lot of scope for opportunities here uh, with, within this space
0: maybe that's more in our ecological sector which we talked about
3: i think they're i think they're entirely interrelated yeah Sorry, Angus. Yeah, a couple of
2: things strike me. I mean, first of all, just on that point about tractors being controlled by GPS, it's just another example, isn't it, of how tech touches everything. Oh, yeah. So when you talk about tech as being a, a, a separate sector, actually that's less and less the case, isn't it? Because, you know, tech in agriculture is just as important, I guess, as tech in, you know, I don't know, domestic appliances or anything else. Uh, but um, I was talking this morning to an Asian fund selector who was... It was actually talking about ESG, uh, but he was saying that within the the ESG debate, there's all this discussion around how you generate alpha. You know, how do you generate alpha through ESG processes, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And he was saying that's all. It's all moving on to sustainability. You can generate alpha through sustainability or a sustainable investment strategy, whereas ESG is really just about controlling risks. And you don't, you know, there's there's nothing. Um, you don't gain any advantage from having a good ESG score whilst you are disadvantaged by having a poor one but that doesn't affect how much money you're making whereas sustainability will and obviously nothing is more aligned with sustainability than agriculture or, or needs to be aligned with, with, with sustainability so, so the, this is this there is a there is a kind of a groundswell of investment thinking going in this direction i think
1: I think one of the areas which um, will come to in agriculture is agro, um, chemicals, and so what they use for fertilisers as well. So you've got the big companies like Bayer Corp, BASF, you know, producing these agricultural chemicals. But, you know, some of these companies, they don't have the ESG cre- credentials behind them. So I think, you know, again, it's all about the due diligence, you know, looking at what you're invested in, in the portfolios, because some of these top companies, you know, on the agricultural side, they do have the chemicals, you know, the fertilizers, et cetera. But just looking down a list of the top companies, some of them are questionable on ESG.
3: Yeah, i don't I don't think it's I don't think it's whiter than white actually. This this category, I agree with Nisha on that. It's not like mm. water, which is sort of definitively quite clean. No pun intended.
2: No, but what the message I'm getting from the selectors is that more and more they need to be because it's, it's sustainability goes hand in hand with being. You know, we're doing the right things in the, in this sector. I mean, agriculture particularly, the, the very word sustainability, it isn't sustainable to keep trying to produce the same yield of crops from the same piece of land just by pumping more chem- chemicals into it. So actually, it, it, sustainability takes on a a, a real-world meaning in this sector that
0: perhaps it, it's harder to pin down in other sectors. Yeah, we're still, but yeah, and then we've still got a lot more people to feed. Sorry, Frank.
3: Uh, no, 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 that's absolutely right. I just wanted to flag up one more fund in in the peer group for, for a little bit of balance here. Not doing quite as well. It's the uh, Saracen Food and Agriculture Fund. It's one of the largest in the peer group. It's got half a billion dollars. It's run by the, the category's longest serving manager, Henry Boucher, and co-manager, Geneve Shah. Uh, hasn't, as I said, hasn't been doing quite the same numbers, up 73% since markets bottomed in March. Um, this is in part due to the fact that they aren't invested in those cyclical equipment manufacturers to the same degree that that rely on food price inflation to, or food prices to be high in order to to run. So it's only got ten percent in machinery, much more in the food processing area, which is a little duller, little uh, little sort of safer. Also, it's got a healthy chunk in retail, twenty eight percent invested here through names like Ocado, Just Eat, Hello Fresh. You know, probably Deliveroo when that when that lists right. as is like topical at the moment. Um, it remains to be seen, though, like how these strategies are going to perform in a rising inflation, rising yield environment. Some parts of the food value chain can absolutely pass on price rises, but uh, you know the notion that that f- food is an inflation hedge doesn't necessarily translate here, given how well diversified the portfolios are.
0: Good. Well, everything is ESG. Everything is tech. I think we can uh, we can safely take those two things away. Uh, Thank you very much, Nisha, Angus and Frank, and also to Alan Walsh, our producer today. And thank you from me and look forward to being back with you very soon. Goodbye.